1: going on everybody welcome back to another episode of candlestick chronicles the 49ers podcast on the blue wire network my name is chris biederman i cover the 49ers for the sacramento Bee. with me as always it is kyle madsen of NinersWire.com of the usa today sports media group and a midday producer at 95.7 the game kyle what is happening
2: you know you say as always and it's not always like jess root joined the show Nick Wagner's been on filling in for me. Like, it's not. I'm
1: trying always. to help you out, and I don't want the audience to think you're flaky. No, it's load management. <laughs> <laughs> fair, fair enough. I'm yeah, managing.
2: I'm managing my snaps.
1: <laughs> right, right. Well, that's very apropos because it feels like the 49ers were doing some load management over the weekend, and boy, and did it. Loss to the Falcons. Right.
2: Yeah, <laughs> that's that's like I hadn't put that together but you saying it felt like the 49ers were load managing on Sunday. That is a hundred percent how that game felt from start to finish. It was so weird and thinking about it in that context, that very much is, is how that game went.
1: Yeah. So, so normally when we do this reaction pod on that, we're recording on Monday night, we're fresh off a Kyle Shanahan Monday afternoon press conference. There was no press conference on this particular Monday because the 49ers play on Saturday so, typically, uh, we are gonna we would have a Tuesday off from access at the facility, but because the Niners play on Saturday this week against the Rams, Kyle Shanahan's going to have his next press conference on Tuesday. So, uh, there was no news coming out today, the day after the game. Kyle Shanahan said there were no injury updates, or no new injuries, I should say, coming out of that game, which I guess is a silver lining on top of the fact that the 49ers clinched a playoff game, despite losing in pretty miserable fashion Uh, against the atlanta falcons but kyle i was i was driving around today running errands and um i was listening to your radio show and uh it seems like there's a lot of panic out there and and it's funny to me and it it just sort of exemplifies the week-to-week nature of the nfl that the 49ers are coming off their best win of the season in new orleans it was uh, a validating win everything we thought about the 49ers being actual super bowl contenders uh was verified by by the way they won that game in New Orleans a week ago. And now all of that's gone to hell because they dropped a game in, in an obvious letdown performance against the Seahawks. And uh and it's just really funny to see the overreaction and ultimately And also
2: the Falcons.
1: <laughs> and ultimately like what I say, did I say the Seahawks? Yeah. Oh, the Seahawks are just on my brain.
2: Are you? Are you? Are you ahead. foreshadowing?
1: Oh wow, this, <laughs> is, unbelievable. Time. this yeah. is unbelievable. This is
2: unbelievable.
1: No, they they lost to the Atlanta Falcons, not the Seattle Seahawks. Um, but the point being that ultimately, no matter what happened on Sunday, the 49ers were going to have to win uh maybe not necessarily beat the rams uh, coming up on saturday and i know you have the full playoff breakdown and, and those possibilities coming up a little bit later on the pod but they were going to have to win in seattle and there was a small chance com- coming into this month that the 49ers would gain a two game lead on the Seahawks until that week 17 game which meant that uh, you know taking importance off of that game maybe the 49ers would have wrapped up a first round bye and really the only thing that we've learned now because the 49ers lost that game in the and C- the Seahawks one in Carolina, is that the 49ers are going to have to win week 17 in Seattle. And I I understand why fans would be stressed out about that. And yeah, there is a very big difference between being a wildcard team as a number five seed versus the number one seed where you get a first round buy and home field advantage. But to me, if I'm a fan of the 49ers, I want week 17 in Seattle to matter for the division because it is essentially a playoff game, and it's going to be a great warm-up for whatever you experience come January, whether that's hosting a couple games uh, or going on the road as, as a wild-card team. I think it's a perfect test to have right before the playoffs start, assuming you're healthy, which is obviously a big question mark and a big variable going into it. But uh, Kyle, where are you at with the 49ers just coming out of that game, and uh, what is your panic meter at right now? So, what I learned Sunday
2: is that if the 49ers have five defensive starters out in the playoffs, they're probably not going to win. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's Fair. true for, for almost every team. I think the reason there's so much panic, we see this every year, and and I'm going to exclude this year because this year might be different, but every year prior to this one the patriots would have a bad loss and there would be this collective national freak out about it they lost to
1: the dolphins in december the last two seasons yes like and then went to the super bowl those two years
2: but the difference between the the patriots and the 49ers is the patriots uh have earned that benefit of the doubt they they have earned that margin for error the 49ers have won 12 games the last three years And four last year. And I I understand that there were circumstances around that 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 made them worse than they probably should have been. But the fact of the matter is this team hasn't done a lot of winning this decade. So when they have a letdown game, when they entered that game 11-2, and it feels like, here we go again, or, oh no, the house of cards has fallen down. When really these are the ebbs and flows of an NFL season. The 49ers have miraculously avoided this type of game through 14 weeks. And then they had one in week 15 with a bunch of players out. Um, And if, if they don't get healthy for the playoffs then yeah, they're probably not going to go very far, but that can be said for, for any team. Uh, I think their focus is on the Rams and the Seahawks and ensuring everybody's healthy for whenever their first playoff game is because, as I mentioned at the top, if they're not healthy,
1: they're uh, they're not beating anybody. Yeah, and they had a ton of trouble without Richard Sherman, Kwan Williams, and Jaquaski Tart. That's basically sixty percent of their secondary trying to cover Julio Jones, who's still one of, if not the best, receivers in the league. Uh, and their inability to cover Julio was probably the thing that cost them the game most. I would also argue that. They were really sluggish on offense, and George Kittle basically spelled it out afterwards. We didn't have any intensity, and hopefully this game will light a fire under us. That's that's essentially what he said, which speaks to the fact that, yeah, it was a letdown game, and no one will admit the fact, you know, no one it on the team or involved with the team will admit the fact that it was an emotional letdown game. But we're talking about a game against a 4-9 and team at home after you spend— 11 days on the road playing two of the best teams in the league. You go one and one on that road trip. Uh, You stay in Florida. You go to New Orleans. You spend an extra night in New Orleans. You come back, and then you feel a little bit relaxed because you just have sort of a season-defining win, and it's just human nature, and every single team in the league has games like this when you go back on their schedule. Like, yeah, they probably shouldn't have lost that game, and yeah, this happens all the time, but it's not a referendum on who the 49ers are as contenders. And I think it's really funny. And we pointed this out like when we were talking last night after the game, if Julio Jones is 6 inches short of the goal line and the 49ers win, what are we even talking about right now? It, like it we're we're talking about the result and what happens in the game doesn't change. Like the the entire game could have gone exactly the way it did. And then if if a few inches intru- of a couple things happen. Julio Jones is short. George Kittle doesn't fumble the ball out of bounds on third down um, late in inside the two-minute warning. It's just like a couple things happen, and then, oh, Robert is really struggling. Oh, Jimmy Garoppolo is taking a huge right. step back. Oh, Kyle Shanahan doesn't know how to call an offense. Uh, you know, whatever it is. It's just, we're making all of these snap judgments based on the results. And if the result is different, because julio jones is a couple inches short of the goal line rather than scoring that touchdown that was initially ruled short of the end zone then we're saying all right the 49ers are a really gritty team they they didn't have any energy they're really figured sloppy, out a way to but, win but yeah they figured out a way to win it was another another case of them figuring out a way to win it's like look if you want to re- over overreact to a, a week 14 loss to the falcons fine go ahead if you thought the 49ers were going to go four and two, then credit to you. You had a fourteen and two, I should say. You had a very pie in the sky opinion of what this team was, and I'm not saying that uh, they couldn't go fourteen and two. Um, I'm just saying, like this, realistically, if you're a really, really good team in the league, you're probably going to win anywhere from eleven to thirteen games. You win fourteen yep. games, and you're probably going to win a game or two that you shouldn't have won, and yep. or you didn't deserve to win hey um the 49ers played themselves out of that game and these things just happen as part of the peaks and valleys of an NFL season and I just don't really understand it or or understand the panic behind it because of what we've seen this team do throughout the the rest of the season when they did have Richard Sherman in the lineup uh when they were playing with a little bit more edge offensively when the receivers are more involved I just don't find this to be you know, particularly panic inducing, like maybe other people involved uh, watching this team are. They were going to have to go to Seattle and win in
2: week 17, whether they won or lost this game. Now that might change if Seattle loses to the Cardinals and the Niners could have clinched if they beat the Falcons and the Rams. That's neither here nor there. The fact of the matter is if they go 13 and three, guess what? They're still the one seed. They still have home field throughout and uh, they get the first round by. So that's where they're at. They had a bad loss and the sky's not falling, and I mean, it's just, uh, I, I get that, that fans react certain ways, and that's not begrudging anybody, like, it's part of what makes being a football fan great, is, is the emotional highs that, uh, unfortunately come with the emotional lows, but, uh, if, if, uh, you think, If you're hunkering down because you think the sky is coming down, uh, you can come out and enjoy the sunshine. It's going to be okay. Hey, real quick, before we move on, Mm -hmm. where did you land on Shanahan not going for it on fourth and two at the end of the game?
1: He said it was closer to two yards than one yard. um, And that he wanted, he trusted his defense to make, make the necessary plays in, in that situation where, where I'm at in terms of coaches making decisions. Like I think there's a lot to the idea of showing confidence in people. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you, if you ever make a coaching decision where you say um, you know, I'm, I'm deviating from what I'm, what I've been confident in sometimes that can work against you even even if you get the intended result right like if you go for it maybe there's somebody on the defensive side and I don't know that this necessarily would happen but just in general when you're talking about sports like if you go for it in that case maybe somebody on the defensive side says, oh Shanahan doesn't trust us or whatever the Niners defense has been a force for them all season it's it's been their their more consistent side of the ball and it slipped up a little bit these last couple games in part because of injuries in part because of their opponents I think in part because of just simply the time of the year um but I don't really fault him for it I I I, I'm okay with him trusting his defense but I mean they the Niners have been really good on fourth down all year they converted a fourth and short on a pass to George Kittle I want to say in the first half um You know, if you don't get it, then it looks terrible, right? Because then they have to go 30 yards.
2: They kick a field goal and win,
1: right? If you don't get it, then the Falcons are in a much better spot to go win the game. So I understand why you did it. You want to force them to go the length of the field, you to to score a touchdown. You want your defense to make those plays. The defense, the defensive players talked about it afterwards. Fred Warren and DeForest Buckner both said like, yeah, we wanted to be on the field in that situation. We wanted to win us the game because we've been doing it all year. Um, so I agree with the idea if you're if you're Kyle Shanahan of like, let's let's get our defense on back on the field um, and allow them to win us this game because it, it wasn't like the defense was terrible. Um, the defense had a, a bad finish, but the, the Falcons punted on their first three possessions of the of the second half and they only finished with two hundred and ninety yards. It wasn't like they were yes. letting the 49ers. Up. They, they, they averaged four point eight yards per play. Um, really Julio Jones was their only offense and what ended up happening is Julio Jones ended up uh, just sort of being being that thorn in their side uh, during those last two drives so um, I'm not I don't totally totally fault Shanahan for the decision it's one of those things where like it's ultimately the, dis- the how we view the decision is always based on what the end result right. ends up being. Right. You can make the right decision, and then the result goes the other way, and then you look like an idiot. So uh, I get where he was coming from with it.
2: The The fact of the matter is, is, like you said, if they go for it there and they don't... If the 49ers go for it, they don't get it, the Falcons go down, kick a game-winning field goal. The discussion today is... Shanahan was over aggressive. How do you not trust your defense in that spot? It's obvious you kick a field goal and make them score a touchdown. The this is, the a, this Falcons... is a guy
1: who gave up a twenty or who was offensive coordinator when his team gave up a twenty five point lead in the Super Bowl. Right. Right. So like that <laughs> I think you learned a lesson there. Like, no, let me let me take these points. Let me trust my defense. And, right. And, uh, and let's go and win this thing. To that
2: point, the Falcons scored a touchdown on their third drive, like you mentioned. They they didn't do a lot. And their touchdown in the fourth quarter came on an iffy pass interference penalty on Jimmy Ward that that put the ball at the one for for Atlanta right They had 75 yards on that drive thirty seven of them came on that penalty I, I I just um I honestly don't see where the beef is you the 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 play there is you kick a field goal and then you lean on your defense which had been very good all game
1: the bigger play in my opinion was George Kittle's fumble yes that's that's it that was a bigger mistake than Shanahan deciding to to kick the ball there if George Kittle George Kittle had rolled through Devante KZ, I, I think it was multiple times I know there was one time for sure in the second half where he completely dump trucked him and got like six yards after after contact with him and just basically ran him over. And I was expecting Kittle to do the same thing on that bubble screen. It looked like he had a lane. All he had to do was run at KZ, and even if KZ tackled him, Kittle absolutely would have been falling forward and would have at least got the first down. Um, and if the 49ers get the first down, then they force the Falcons to use their remaining two timeouts they probably kick a field goal with, what, something like 30 seconds left? 20 yeah, seconds not left. a lot of time. Not a lot of time. So, at that point, you were thinking, okay, the 49ers probably win the game. But as George Kittle goes to switch switch the ball in his hand so he could stiff-arm KZ, he drops it without being touched, and it goes out of bounds, and it's the worst situation the, the 49ers could have envisioned on that play because not only did they not get the first down, but the clock stopped, mm-hmm. and then they have to get the kick. So... If, if you if you confound that mistake by going for it on fourth down and then don't get it I mean that's that's that that is just a, a horrendous sequence that I think ultimately is worse than than what happened so yeah I'm, yep. I'm fine with taking the points there i I think go, going back just to the idea of how seriously the 49ers took the game and I don't know I I don't remember if we actually talked about this on on the preview pod, but Richard Sherman last week saying, you know, I I could play in this game if we had to have it. Um that is not something you ever hear from a player if we had to have it. Like that is right. that is so antithetical to what you typically hear from NFL players and coaches leading into games. Every game is a championship opportunity. Uh, all those cliches that, you know, we take it one week at a time, blah, 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 blah. What Sherman said flew in the face of that. And I think it exemplified the team's attitude going into the game. And yeah, you can be locked in at practice and you can be really focused when you're game planning and, you know, do all that. But there is a different type of edge you need to play with in the NFL to win because you're going to get beat. And all of the cliches here, are valid. Like you can get beaten on any given Sunday. It's a week-to-week league. All of those, all of those cliches that people are yeah. tired of hearing—they're absolutely true. And I think that's sort of what happened. I think it was a human, human nature thing coming off that New Orleans game. And it was very apparent to me by the way the guys were talking in the locker room that they simply didn't have the same intensity and mentality, the verve that they've had previously, coming off of that three-game stretch, particularly the win over New Orleans. And I think the same could be true for Kyle Shanahan and Richard Sherman sort of foreshadowed that with what he said on Thursday when he basically ruled himself out saying, you know, the coaching staffs already decided that I'm not going to play because we don't really need this game, which, and he's not wrong, but I think it contributed to what, what ultimately was a letdown performance.
2: And the other, the other thing with that is it's human nature, right? Like I know athletes are just different, like they're superheroes and there's like a, mindset that drives them to become professional athletes and what separates them from from people who stop playing sports in high school but there's human nature when we looked at these last six games we we the the royal we said Packers Ravens Saints that's a brutal three-game stretch nah, Falcons and then Rams Seahawks that's good that's those right. five games right. I, like the Falcons game got kicked aside and if just about everyone is doing that i the players at some point have to have that happen as well it's obviously on a different level they're more competitive and like i I understand all that but the fact that it just continually got glossed over like fans and media weren't the only ones doing that right And, and i and i i think there's there's definitely something to that
1: yeah, and you look at the two home losses that they've had. The Niners did not have George Kittle against the Seahawks, and you don't have Richard Sherman and, you know, Kwan Williams and mm-hmm. Joukowsky Tart against the Falcons, who had you – know, they came in having the league's third most productive passing attack, and Julio Jones is really, really good. So, look, if – yeah, I just – I think they're going to be fine, uh, ultimately. If they come out and just destroy the Rams on Saturday, which – may have it is like a kind of realistic expectation to be honest given what happened in Dallas the way the Rams played and, and how things have gone for them this season it wouldn't surprise me at all if the 49ers put their foot down on them um, but I don't know it, let, let, let's talk about the offense a little bit because I think we, we've we we've definitely combed over the emotional aspect of of an NFL season and how that impacted things but you know I, I think Kyle Shanahan this was probably, from my vantage point, the worst game plan he's put together all season. It was really bad. And I don't know what the reasoning was. Like there there weren't it's not like you need a bunch of trick plays like like they had in New Orleans. You don't need a wide receiver double reverse pass or Kyle Usechek to run a read option um, that gets you near the goal line in, in the red zone on a key third down or whatever. You don't need to do all of those things. But one thing that's really a hallmark of the 49ers offense, particularly this season, is the ability to spread the ball around in the passing game. And a lot of that comes off design plays. And I just don't know if we saw that. Like Debo Samuel never got in any sort of rhythm. The 49ers have been really good about force-feeding him the ball, whether it's bubble screens or running plays. He did have one run. Um, but he didn't make his first catch until very, very late in the fourth quarter until their final possession. They had that 29 yarder and Emmanuel Sanders had two catches for nine yards. And it's, it's surprising because there was such an even distribution of targets against New Orleans. And it just felt like, you know, Shanahan said afterwards, well, you know, I didn't think we were force feeding Kittle. It's like, you know, and Kittle he said it's 17 of 34 targets. Right. And and Kittle <laughs> said it to me for, for a story I wrote over the weekend, which you should go read because it's absolutely fantastic um, that it's okay. He, 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 <laughs> 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 he was uh, he was joking with Kyle Shanahan about getting the Mike Dicker record. He was like, yeah, and we we need 130 yards. We need whatever. Um, and Kittle said it in jest, but it felt like that's actually what Kyle Shanahan was doing. And, I think there are ways there are ways to get George Kittle that record without sort of sacrificing what you need to do from a game plan perspective. But I also, you know, we we joked about load load management earlier. Earlier, like Emmanuel Sanders has dealt with a rib injury for a while. Yep, Debo Samuel has had a shoulder injury. If you're not targeting them in the passing game, they're not getting tackled. If they're not getting tackled, they're less likely to get hurt. I just and no one will ever admit this on or off the record because that's not what happens in the NFL. But I do wonder if there was, if, if keeping those guys healthy and ensuring that they didn't hurt themselves was part of the plan going into the game, like that, that is just, that's, that's a signal to the team that this game doesn't matter. And, and to me, I just found that problematic. Look, if you don't want if you don't want those guys to get hurt, then maybe limit their reps. Like maybe don't give them all of the snaps. Maybe play Dante Pettis and work him back into the mix. Try to get him in some sort of a rhythm because you yeah. never know if you're going to end up needing him in the playoffs because somebody goes down or whatever. Yeah. Um. You know, use Richie James more. There, there are things you can do to spread the ball around to be more even offensively than what the 49ers did yesterday, and it just felt like. And look, I don't I'm not an X's and O's guy. I'm not going to be, you know, on periscope breaking down film or anything for you guys because that is not my skill set. But I can't imagine the Falcons just did such an incredible job of taking away the 49ers receivers that it was one of the least productive games the 49ers have had from their receivers, right? Like I think Kyle Shanahan deviated away from getting those guys the ball and played it safe, which is fine. But ultimately, it ended up costing him because there was no rhythm to the offense. Everything seemed disjointed. Uh, When you have an offensive line that's struggling, ideally, you'd like to allow Jimmy Garoppolo to get the ball out of his hand quickly with some of those predetermined reads. Um, It just didn't seem like much was happening. And so that I think for the first time this season, at least it was a, a questionable game plan by Kyle Shanahan. And I wonder if if his plan going in, whether it was load management or, or whatever, if that impacted the mindset of the team thinking, okay, let's let's just kind of go, you know, cruise through this one, uh, come out of it healthy and, uh, and and you know, not get anybody hurt. And to be fair, the 49ers didn't have any new injuries in that game, which, yeah, was, which, which was an odd, I mean, kind of an odd development to, you know, to development, silver lining, however you want to put it.
2: Well, and the other silver lining is this the the 49ers can lose against the rams oh, and then let's beat do it. seattle. Let's do
1: the playoff scenario thing.
2: Okay, so if they win their next two, they win the division and they're the number 1 seed. That's it. Correct. Um full stop. Full stop. If they lose if they if they lose to Seattle, uh they're the they're not winning the division. Okay. Um that's that's the bottom line. Um, Uh, we
1: kind of knew because they would need a two game lead going into that game anyway.
2: Right. Because Seattle, if Seattle wins, they hold the head to head tiebreaker, which is the number one tiebreaker. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: So if the Niners win that game, it gives them in the head to head, they'd be one and one. So if the Niners lose to the Rams and the Seahawks beat the Cardinals, the Seahawks go in 12 and three. Uh, the Niners go in eleven and four. If the Niners beat the Seahawks, they're both twelve and four, and they would split the head to head. Um they'd be tied division record <laughs> is the next tiebreaker, they'd be tied four to two. In common games, that's the next tiebreaker, they'd be tied nine to three. In conference games, which is the next tiebreaker, they'd be tied at nine and three. So then it goes down to strength of victory, where the 49ers have an advantage because their three victories that Seattle doesn't have are better than Seattle's three victories that the Niners don't have. So the Niners beat the Washington, beat Washington, the Packers and the saints. Whereas the Seahawks beat the Falcons, Eagles and Vikings. Are you following me? Yeah, I got all that. Totally. So, <laughs> <laughs> so those three teams matter because the Niners and Seahawks have the same v- victories. Otherwise, right? So those records cancel out. And right now, the 49ers are on pace to win the strength of victory uh, tiebreaker. Right. And some weird stuff would need to happen for them not to win it. So uh, even if the Niners lose to the Rams, it's not all over because they have week 17. Regardless of what happens, excuse me. Regardless of what happens going
1: into week 17. Did you just burp on the podcast? Yup. I just let it fly. There you go. Well, um, so one of the things that, that I really like about this time of year is all the probability stuff. Um, proba- okay, let, let me put a disclaimer out there. Like, probability in the NFL is the worst, in my opinion. Like, when you're like, oh, let's look at the, the win probability at it. Like, I, I hate that stuff because it's just not realistic. Like, there, like, some – It so anyway, so I tweeted out this morning – there was uh, somebody from ESPN, Seth Walter, tweeted out You know the likelihood of, of where your seeds are. The 49ers have a 44.4% chance of getting the top seed over the Seahawks, uh, who are 36.4% according to ESPN's FPI model. Um, then Football Outsiders tweets their model, and they have the Seahawks with a 54.8% chance of winning the NFC West and the 49ers going down 45.2 if you average those probabilities together you know what you get just about 50-50 <laughs> <laughs> so, so I, look i'm i'm uh, like s- analytic, statistically analytical people are are going to like think i'm stupid which is fine i don't really care like games, ha- like crazy things happen in the NFL, and people are like, oh my god, that was so unexpected because of the win probability model or whatever. Like guys, crazy things happen. Like you have to execute, or the other team's gonna score, and if you don't execute, then then that's what's gonna happen. And so probably anyway. Wh- so I I just read some people be and and um, there was a there's a certain national columnist for a very prominent outlet who uses like win probability added. Uh, when analyzing stuff and it drives me nuts anyway that was my per like that that's just my personal personal thing grinds my gears don't probability in the nfl is not a thing like you use probability when you play blackjack that's what i do that's how <laughs> that, that's like when i use probability because that's all you can do but so not, that's how you got rich well, yeah that's that's the source of outrage. <laughs> R- R- real quick i want to i want
2: to yeah. i want to whittle down my playoff scenarios because that was insane okay um if the 49ers beat the Seahawks,
1: they win the division. Yes.
2: Like, that's it, regardless of what happens against the Rams. So,
1: Also, I would like to point out if the 49ers are the five seed, there's a very strong chance that they play the Dallas Cowboys on the road. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if anybody remembers the season opener to the 2014 oh, season. In boy, Dallas. do I. That was like legitimately it was yesterday. 50% 49ers fans in Jerry World. It was wild. I would expect something very similar to that for a playoff game. So, point being, I don't think home field necessarily would be all that problematic. What's problematic is not getting the buy, um, and then later when you when you have to go to you know Seattle or New Orleans or Green Bay or whatever, if that's how it plays out, and- those are much more difficult places to play than what Dallas would be uh, in the in the wild card round. Philly would be a little bit more difficult and i personally would prefer the 49ers not have to go to philadelphia because i've been <laughs> looking at i've been looking at flight options and uh you know what Kyle they're not great
2: not awesome uh, not
1: awesome san jose to philly with a week's notice it's not looking great that's the, old the company credit card is uh is going to be put to use that's uh
2: that's the other that's the other piece of this playoff scenario thing is if the niners do lose to the rams they need the packers and saints to both lose or else they grab the 3 seed basically everything's on the table one two three five or six yeah well so mean, what everything we do- i just said is totally meaningless
1: yeah let's go through the <laughs> probability of each scenario now please and try to figure all that out okay, 43.2
2: anyway. percent
1: <laughs> winners and losers Damn winners it. and losers the first winner who's also kind of a loser in this after what happened uh george kittle when you become the all-time leader in receiving yards for a tight end in your first three seasons, surpassing uh, Jimmy Graham, Rob Gronkowski, and Mike Ditka, uh, you're you're cooking with gas. You're off to a pretty good start to your NFL career. And it also happens that George Kittle is also the uh, one of, if not the best, run-blocking tight end in the league. On Raheem Mostert's touchdown, you can see him giggle, giggling profusely as he rolls over the ground after completely pancaking uh, Ricardo Allen, and it's like it's maniacal. Like I've heard Kittle laugh like that on the practice field when he does it to, to Niners teammates. I could only imagine what that cackle sounded like, um, and it was just really funny to see him giggling hysterically like that, eight yards into the end zone after pancaking a, a defender. Uh, Kittle had a great game. Uh, 13 catches for 134 yards, which was the same exact total as Julio Jones, by the way. Only Julio scored a pair of tutties. Um, Two tugs! (laughs) So Kittle is a winner from that standpoint, uh, but the fumble remains, in my opinion, one of the, if not the biggest play in the game. Because it, it allowed the Falcons to get the ball back and score. But he's a winner, otherwise... Because he broke a pretty prestigious record, even though he doesn't care about it. Yeah, and he I has... Asked him and him afterwards, has... he was like, nah, don't care, we lost. I was like, fair. I needed a quote anyway. And I
2: believe he needs 11, 12 catches to pass Kellen Winslow or Jimmy Graham, one of the two, for most catches by a tight end through their first three years.
1: Good knowledge. So watch out for a lot of George Kittle targets. Um... Loser Kyle Shanahan. We talked about it. Didn't love the game plan. Didn't love the fact that you didn't get the receivers involved. There was very little balance to the passing game. The running game was fine. Utilizing Tevin Coleman as, as much as he tried to do. Uh, I don't know if it was a thing where it was like, you know, Hey, we're going against your old team. Let's, let's get you going again when you clearly had been ineffective the last few weeks. I thought that was a little bit odd. Um, it worked going to Kyle Usechek in that after the 49ers got that fumble, which I thought when they scored that touchdown to, to Usechek was was the turning point and was going to win them the game. Yep. Um, but it was clear like, oh, Usechek should have scored on the fumble recovery, so let's force feed him here. It was just an odd thing. It was like trying to, trying to get guys' individual – accolades or touchdowns or whatever it was just a weird thing like shanahan clearly wanted kittle to get the record he clearly wanted use to score there which is fine i mean you you did score so it's hard it's hard to really knock it but um the tevin coleman thing the the receiver's not really being involved just an odd, odd very game strange. plan from kyle shanahan yeah so very this week
2: very very strange a game plan that looked like they went into the week Saying, let's start looking at the Rams.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, winner Dan Quinn. Did Dan Quinn just save his job? Dan Quinn's a head coach of the Atlanta Falcons. If you didn't know, uh, uh, was, I'm not. I'm not it sure. Was highly, highly speculated speculated that he was uh, not going to survive the season. He still might not. But the Falcons have what? They've won four of their league. last five. They've won 4 or 5 down the season yeah. including wins at New Orleans and at the 49ers. Yeah. That's that might be job-keeping type stuff right there. If
2: the reaction from the Falcons front office members in the press box was any indication, he sure did.
1: Oh, were you uh were you hanging out by Oh, uh... I
2: was right next to them.
1: Oh, tell stories, man.
2: Let's go uh up. it it was like imagine watching a game with some Falcons front office people. Uh-huh. And, and, uh, that's how it was. There was table banging and <laughs> cursing and, uh, not like, it's a work environment. Like I yeah, understand they, they that, that, that they're like for the game. There's I no under- cheering allowed in the press box. <laughs> I understand they're emotionally involved in the game, but I don't, I don't know what the etiquette is here on something. One of them said to me, um, oh i just well, said to you personally every, yeah so every say? i'm not gonna um hmm yeah it's fine what are they they're not gonna listen
1: uh <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that'd be weird if they did anyways just don't name uh, them you can say what they said just don't name them when
2: when oh, mr mitrov uh, <laughs> no it wasn't it wasn't a gm i actually looked at okay. uh, I, I actually looked up what the guy did i'm not gonna say what he did but um they were running a lot of those like quick screens and little quick hits to try and mitigate the pass rush and and this guy's like, just these screens. It's not working. Oh, he got all mad. Um, and then we were kind of talking about the game, and and he, I was like, the Falcons aren't aren't as bad as their their record. And he goes, he goes, yeah. And he starts talking about some some stuff. And I was like, well, and, uh, I wanted to show off that I you know know a lot about the Falcons. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, Keanu being out sucks. And I was like, and then tack going down today. And he like gives me this like side eye and he goes, tack goes down every day. <laughs> and then it turns out he has this season ending shoulder injury. It's like, dang, man. Yikes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It happened. Tough scene.
1: Tough scene. Um, the, uh, the great Phil Barber columnist from the love Phil Santa Rosa press Democrat had yep. one of my favorite quotes Uh, It was in Seattle back when, but Seattle's done a lot of renovating to their press box and they've taken a lot of the press seating out for luxury suites, which is understandable. Um, But back, it was after the NFC title game and it was a similar situation where there were a ton of Seahawks personnel, football personnel behind us going crazy uh, when we're all trying to write. And, uh, And we're walking down, Phil turns around to him and he goes, no pressing in the cheer box. And all the writers like <laughs> thought that was hysterical because it's a good joke. That's a it's really a good, good joke. joke. But when you say that to football people, they kind of look at you funny because they don't really know what you mean, um, and they don't get the reference. Right? Because you know, no, no cheering in the press box is like a very common thing. So no, right? No, no pressing in the cheer box is uh, was really well done. That's so really shout strong. Out to Phil, who's probably not listening. Uh, loser. We talked about the 49ers receivers a little bit collectively. I don't know that it's necessarily their fault. Um, I'm, I mean, I'm sure, you know, Debo Samuel, Emmanuel Sanders, Kendrick Bourne didn't exactly play well. Bourne had to drop Debo, had to drop Sanders. He seemed frustrated throughout the game. I don't know the exact reasoning for it. We didn't get a chance to talk to him afterwards. Uh, Debo Samuel, one catch, three targets, 29 yards, Emmanuel Sanders, two catches, four targets, nine yards, Kendrick Bourne, one catch, Two targets, 11 yards, uh, coming after his two-touchdown game. Um, all three of those guys had big games in New Orleans, and they yep. were uh, basically nowhere to be found. And I, like I said, I don't know if that was a factor of, or if that was a result of Kyle Shanahan's game planning or, or what, or they all just collectively played terribly. I tend to think that Shanahan just didn't really feel like featuring them for whatever reason. Can I get to a winner? Yep. Raheem Mostert. Was a winner yesterday.
2: F- uh, 14 carries, 54 yards, a touchdown. The offense though just looks better when Mostert's in.
1: Yeah, I and think that's fair.
2: they 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 seem more dangerous. And I know that's such a stupid thing because I, I don't have the numbers to quantify it, but I, I promise the numbers back it up. Like they're just they're they're more effective when Mostert is is in the game. um and he he led the team in carries yesterday, but I, I'm I'm not sure why they're not starting with him in the backfield. I, I just um, their their first series was completely ineffective, um, and, and he was sitting on the bench the whole time, which leads me to uh, my 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 loser,
1: which is uh, was... Raheem Mostert. By the way, uh-huh, 49ers leading rusher. He became. Uh, the first player since Frank Gore to score rushing touchdowns in four straight games. Gore did it in 2011. Uh, also the 40, uh, the leading fan vote getter in the NFC for the pro bowl.
2: Ah, great point. Good nugget. That's a great nice, nugget.
1: Nice, nice little uh, season for our guy, uh, Raheem the dream as they call him.
2: Yeah. He's, he's a pretty good player. Also had a really nice tackle and punt coverage yesterday. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's, he's good. And they should give him the ball more frequently earlier in the game. Tevin Coleman, not good yesterday. Four carries for forty yards. That looks nice on paper, but he's he had a, a loser. But he had a thirty-seven yard run, and that's not actually a loser. Just in the segment, he's a loser. Right in the in the. I think we should name this something different. Because, like, yeah, Tevin so Coleman's a loser. Like, oh, like, no, he's not. A loser. Tevin Coleman's done a lot of winning in his life. Like, <laughs> right. Tevin Coleman plays in the NFL. He has a, a lot of money to do it. Way better and, uh, life than I do. <laughs> and we're sitting
1: here on a podcast calling people losers yeah, who, are, so, who have accomplished it a lot more than us. So, it's just for the segment, guys. If any players are listening, um, which obviously they all are, yeah. just don't take it personally. All 53 guys. actually yes. losers.
2: Uh, so, the next 49ers player that I'm standing on a pedestal and looking down at is Tevin Coleman. Uh, no, um, no, Coleman just, uh, he had a nice 37 yard run yesterday. The problem is he hadn't eclipsed 37 yards in a game in four of his last six. And that run was 37 of his 40 yards for the game on four carries in his last seven. He has 56 carries for 168 yards and a touchdown. That was the two yard run against green Bay. And if you take out that 37 yard run yesterday, he's averaging 2.4 yards per carry in his last 7 games, which is bad.
1: Yeah. And I think he's healthy.
2: I I think you're right. There there's just there's no way you can be as good as he was early in the year and and fall off that hard. Right. Uh wh- while while being fully healthy. There's there's something up there, I think, which makes He was also makes...
1: flagged for holding, I remember, on a play. Um Yeah, which and, and if I don't he's... remember the circumstances, I just remember he was flagged. And it if, might have not even been accepted. But anyway, <laughs> keep going keep going. I'm gonna look this up.
2: All right. And and, and if he is hurt, that makes it even more head scratching that that he's in the game early and and, and still starting. Um I'm just I, I don't know exactly what's up, but this is going on half the season that that he's been ineffective, and at some point I, I think the Niners have got to change something because they're so clearly better. When Raheem Mostert or even Matt Breida are in the game,
1: Tevin Coleman flagged for holding on third and three on an incompletion of George Kittle, declined by the Falcons, the 49ers punt. But you know what happened on that punt? A fumble. The fumble. So. You know what? Winner. A completely Tevin Coleman. immaterial holding call on <laughs> Tevin Coleman.
2: <laughs> I'm, glad we, I'm glad we got that ironed out. That's very yeah. good. Um, next loser. I got one more loser. I got one more winner. Uh, next loser, Emmanuel Mosley. It's tough because like it was Julio Jones who is an Avenger, (laughs) but like it was a tough day for Mosley and he's been so good all year. Uh, but that was an opportunity to, to step in for Richard Sherman against arguably the most physically gifted receiver in the league. And, uh, he did not pass that test. So I think a learning moment, but he's, he's got to catch an L for, for yesterday, uh, particularly on the Falcons first touchdown drive, where I think Matt Ryan connected on all four of his throws, uh, including a touchdown to Julio Jones. And I know this isn't a great (laughs) indicator of, of success, but if a image search in the USA Today image thing uh, of the wide receiver that you're covering doesn't include you in it. <laughs>
1: That's probably not that good. So, Emmanuel Mosley. So, one thing I do want to point out about Emmanuel Mosley is that he had gotten a bunch of playing time this year in place of Akela Witherspoon at right cornerback. Uh. Richard Sherman plays left cornerback, and Emmanuel Mosley was playing. Was, had to switch to the left side, and I'm not saying that's a huge thing, but I think it is a thing because the 49ers, you know, they they stick their cornerbacks on one side of the field generally, um, unless they're playing man and and somebody's in motion or or you know whatever it goes to the opposite opposite side of the formation. Point being, Emmanuel Mosley has spent the vast majority of both his game reps and practice reps on the other side of the field. And so I'm sure there is a little bit of a transition switching sides and maybe doing that against Julio Jones is not ideal,
2: but that's a great point. That's I mean, a fair point. I don't know
1: if it's a great point. It's just a point. That's it. That's it's, just, it's It's a, that's it's certainly a, a point of context. Yeah. Okay.
2: Listening. That's, that's fair. And like I said, it's not like, uh, I think Emmanuel Mosley shouldn't be the first man up when a starting corner goes down. It was just a yeah. tough day for him yesterday, and that's yeah. uh, that's the point of this segment. Uh, yeah, we're gonna we're definitely
1: gonna <laughs> need to rename winners and losers.
2: Yeah, I think stud, I do studs and duds on the website. Uh, maybe good and bad. Yeah. Maybe good good game, bad game. I don't sure. know. We'll have we'll we'll have some fun creating that uh, in right. our in our text thread. Uh, another winner. This is a kind of personal one for me. Uh, my buddy Kyle McClurg is a lawyer, and he was in law school while the 49ers were bad. He's a big 49ers fan. And now he's out of law school just in time for them to be good. And he can pay attention again, which is honestly really great life planning. And, um, I just wanted to give him a big shout out for that because, uh, he listens to the pod every day and, uh, always texts me about it
1: every day. You yeah. We do twice a week. No, he does listens. He, he re listens. <laughs> <laughs> that would be, that would be really awesome if he did that. um, Kyle McClure wore one of the most impressive ties to cover a game uh, that I remember. I think it was at Candlestick Park, and it was I think it was, like, teal. Oh, excellent. Like, a very bright teal. Because I had told him, like, I used to wear ties to, to all the games, but it was back when um, my wardrobe was severely lacking, and I didn't really have a sport coat. And before I realized that if you wear a tie without a coat, you look like you're a, a waiter. Yeah-huh. <laughs> um, so I stopped wearing ties. I don't often wear sport coats. Maybe to like big games, I'll wear a sport coat. But uh, anyway. And this is before <laughs> you had Untucket shirts, <laughs> which I are had great shirts. shirts. Absolutely. Way before Untucket shirts. Um, so anyway, I think Kyle and I had a conversation about ties. And then he came to one of the next games he covered in like this awesome, like bright teal tie. And I was like, wow, that's. That's a nice tie. So shout out to Kyle, and I hope Love it is teal. If it's not teal, I'm gonna, I'm
2: gonna oh, man. regret it. That just really kills the bit if it wasn't <laughs> teal.
1: It's not a bit. It's not a bit. Um, um he Montre he Moore was at, Award.
2: Uh, another reason Kyle's a winner is he got out
1: of media to become a lawyer, which. Uh, much more lucrative, way more lucrative. <laughs> having, having, having been surrounded by attorneys uh, in a previous life, yeah, I can promise you that attorneys <laughs> generally make a lot more money than sports journalists. Um, so, so good for good for uh, Mr. McClurg. Hopefully, the uh, he he didn't like get into two million dollars worth of debt going to law school, but Oof. like some other friends that I have, um, Dematre Moore MVP award. Who are you going with? I wasn't ready for this one.
2: You threw it in. You threw it into the rundown late. I know I did. We totally forgot. I think I think you know what? I'm gonna go outside the box. I I, I think George Kittle is the obvious pick. Yeah, that's I, my pick. I'm gonna go outside the box, though, and I'll let you talk about Kittle. For me, it was Marcel Harris. Marcel Harris had a not great game against New Orleans, and he came back. You can say he
1: had a bad game. Huh? You can say he had a bad game. He
2: had a bad game against New Orleans. He was a loser against New Orleans. <laughs> <laughs> and uh And no, he, he bounced back first play of the game. He diagnosed the screen and made a really strong tackle. He missed a bunch of tackles against the saints. He had a really strong tackle, had a pass breakup, uh, on the first series, um, had a pass breakup, a momentarily game saving pass breakup against Austin Hooper, where, uh, he, he forced the tight end to, to momentarily drop the ball uh, prior to the Julio Jones game winner. Uh, just a really solid game from, from Marcel Harris after, after he was bad against new Orleans. So, Uh, Shout-out to the second-year safety, and he
1: gets my DeMontre Moore MVP award. Okay, I I respect it. I'm going with Kittle um, because without George Kittle, the Niners would not have moved the ball at all. Um, Yeah. Let's see. Let me me go through these numbers right quick. George Kittle had 134 yards. Jimmy Garoppolo had 200 yards. So George Kittle had something like, what, 60% of – of jimmy garoppolo's production through the air yeah passing yards yeah um 49ers ran the ball okay actually uh averaging 4.4 yards a carry they got 120 yards on 27 runs kittle yeah it's kittle kittle's the mvp of that one despite fumbling out of bounds which i will continue to harp on because i think it was important and maybe under discussed
2: i completely agree with you
1: Um, Okay, I think that's all we got. We are going to record another podcast Gosh, do we have to do we have to change up our podcasting schedule because they play Saturday? We can discuss just
2: no no No, I refuse
1: You don't want to you don't want to record Wednesday So people have two days to absorb our preview content. Nope one day Okay, just uh, if that's the case listeners remember whose idea that was cuz it's not mine.
2: Hey listen or lose it
1: pals? (laughs) All right. Uh, we will talk to you guys later in the week. With uh, We will have a preview of the Rams game on Saturday night. And you'll Alibis. have one day to listen to it. <laughs> and uh, please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcast. Check out everything on the Blue Wire Network. It's, it's actually a robust network of podcasts with lots of different sports, lots of different content to absorb. If you like the Niners, Warriors... Um, There's just all sorts of stuff. NBA, NFL, everywhere. Shout out to Kevin Jones. Doing a great job. Great job, KJ. Um, We will talk to you guys later in the week. Hopefully Wednesday night we can record. But uh, Kyle might fight me on that one. We'll talk to you guys soon.